Why don't you just join me in praying before we continue? Father God, thank you that your presence is here. That God, when you show up, when you're here, we know that regardless of what's going on in our world, what's going on inside our heart, what's going on inside our head, that we can know your peace. Thank you, God, that you indeed are our fortress. You're our fortress. We run to you, and yet you make your home in us. That wherever we are, so you are there also. Father, we now still our heart, still our mind. We put aside the noise, the distraction, the fear, the anxiety, the frustration, every unmet expectation. We put it aside because they've got no place where you are. So God, right now in this space, we're ready to hear what you want to say. Thank you, God, that when your word comes to us, it carries with it the ability to create something where nothing exists. Speak. That even mustard seed faith will be established before we leave this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may take a seat. Woo. Thank you, music team. How are we, church? All good? I, um, I have a bit of a reputation when I preach. Um, it's uh, a reputation around, <laughs> people laughing, it's probably several reputations. One of them is that if I've gone to a movie just before I preach, that I manage to find a way to build it into my sermon, much to the annoyance of the people who are yet to see the movie. Ah, spoiler alert. So um, this morning, I, um, I actually want to, uh, I want to tell you that I haven't seen a movie recently. Thank goodness for that. I've been watching this one called the, uh, this ongoing series called The Outcome of the Election, but I, I don't know how it's going to finish yet. Some people said it was a horror movie, but I'm not sure. See, here's the thing about movies. When somebody tells you about a movie that they've seen and they're really excited about it, the one thing that you don't want to know is how the movie ends. It's understandable, isn't it? I mean, why do you want to go to a movie when you know how it's going to end? Hands up everyone who's been, a movie has been spoiled before, but for you because somebody's either enthusiasm or hate for what they've seen and the waste of 90 minutes and the money they've spent. They've told you the end of the movie before you've seen that. How many people have that's ever happened? Yeah. Doesn't that annoy you? You don't want to know how the movie finishes. What's the point? I want, to, I want to go in and I want to see the story unfold. I want to see it established. And I want to get to the movie end when the movie ends. Not because you told me how it ends. Yeah. But I put up on the screen not only the word movies, I've also put up the word dreams. 
And for the sake of the discussion this morning, I want you to understand that by dreams, you can exchange that for dreams, could be vision, could be a hope, could be a prophetic word, maybe something you feel like God has promised you, something that you've received because God's spoken to you out of a scripture. So, so although I'm going to use the word dreams, I don't want you to sit there through the morning going, yeah, well, that's all very well, but I haven't had a dream. I'm young. And because apparently, according to the Bible, it's old men who dream dreams. <laughs> See, here's the thing about a dream or a vision or a word or an expectation or a hope that you have in God. We don't want to know the end of a movie, but my experience is when it comes to a dream, you don't really want to know what's going on in the middle. How many people have ever had the experience in life where you've started out on a journey of hope because God has spoken to you in some way, shape, or form? You've been excited about it. You've received the word, the dream, the vision, the prophecy, and excitement. You think it's amazing because in your ignorance, you think it's all going to happen by next Tuesday, and it'll all be fine. And about a year into it, everything has gone to, and you're thinking, where's the dream? How many people, if you were honest looking back, you're really glad at the beginning that you didn't know what was going to happen in the middle? If you've got to the end, now you can look back and go, oh, now, but if you're not yet at the end, then guess what? You don't, you don't want to know what's just around the corner because with a dream, sometimes we, we like the receiving of the dream and we're looking forward to the fulfillment of the dream, but we're just that bit in the middle. We're not so sure of. So movies, we don't want to know the end. Dreams, trust me, often we don't want to know what's on in the middle. But here's the thing, God speaks. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through vision. He speaks through his word. He speaks prophetically. And the idea is not to bring fear into our hearts, but to bring hope and excitement. Problem is, it's not so much the receiving of the dream or the vision. It's that sense of what do we do with it and how do we live it out, especially when it's not going how we pictured it. How do you deal with a dream? How do you deal with a vision? How do you deal with a word? How do you deal with a hope? How do you manage it? How do you steward it in such a way that you don't give up, you don't bail, and you don't walk out? So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to blend these two ideas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story out of the Bible about a dream, about several dreams, but I'm going to structure it in the form of a movie. Now, I don't know whether you've ever thought about how movies are put together, but basically before anything gets turned into a movie, there's a, a journey that they go through. It's called storyboarding. So it's where you take the storyline of, of the wider picture and you, you map it out with pictures and diagrams and the scene will lead into that scene. Blah, 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 blah. So basically, I'm going I'm to unpack the story of Joseph, but we're going to do it in terms of movie scenes and, and going to help see what we can discover about how do you steward, how do you manage a dream, a vision, a hope, a word, in God. How can we do that more successfully through looking at the picture of a movie? So movies, we don't want to know what's happening in the end, and dreams, we don't want to know what happens in the middle. So let's go to our movie. All right, everybody ready? Got your popcorn? 
Right, some people in the second and third row have got lots of food, so just put your hand up, they'll bring it to you. All right, so we're reading from Genesis chapter 37 and chapters 39 to 50, but we're not going to for the sake of time. I've just put it up there. You can read it later at your leisure. I'll tell you the story seven by, uh, scene by scene. And guess what? There are seven scenes in this movie. And all the people who are into biblical numerology understand, wow, that's significant. So seven's in a significant number. Isn't that amazing? So scene one. We have Joseph. Joseph is the youngest of a whole bunch of other brothers. So at this point in the story, he's got how many brothers? Okay, read it later. In okay. <laughs> Reuben was the eldest of the children of Israel with Simeon and Levi, the next in line. Naphtali and Issachar with Asher and Dan, Zebulun and Gad took the total to nine. Does anybody know what that lyric is from? No, okay. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I am a lot older than I feel right now. Um, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. So Joseph is the youngest, and because at this point he is the youngest, he is the spoiled one. And all the older children said, yeah, that happens. He's spoiled by his dad so much that he's given an amazing coat that everybody loves except his brothers, and it's just a further sign to his brothers that their youngest brother actually has their father's heart in a way that they don't. So they don't like him. They also don't like him because he's got attitude. Here's what happens. Joseph has a couple of dreams. He has a dream. One of them involves sheaves of wheat. Sheaves of wheat, how they bundle wheat when it's, when it's harvested. And he, he has this dream. It's one thing to have a dream. It's another to go and tell your brothers about it, especially when it involves them. So he goes and says, guys, 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 I've got this amazing dream. I had an amazing dream. It's incredible. I had this dream. I had my sheaf of wheat, and there were your sheaves of wheat, and guess what? All your sheaves of wheat all gathered around my sheaf of wheat, and they all bowed down to me. Isn't that awesome? And of course, you can understand the reaction they had. Did they like him? No. Next night, he has another dream. It gets better and better. This time, it's sun, moon, and stars. Guys, 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 I had another dream. Oh, tell us more. I had this amazing dream. I saw that, that I saw you, you were the planets, you were the stars. Oh, good. At least we're not sheaves of wheat this time. Yeah, but guess what? The movie was the same. The dream was the same. You're, you guys, your stars, they all bowed down to me. And his brothers were not excited about the dream. In fact, if you read about it, they said they despised him more because of his words. See, sometimes when you have a dream, it's good to think about what you share and who you share it with. It won't change how true the dream is, but it may well change how the dream unfolds. So that's scene one. So then we get to scene two, and what happens well, all the other brothers go off to look after the sheep, and so Jacob, Joseph's father, calls him to him and says, son, son, I want you to go and find your brothers. They've been out for a little while looking after sheep. Now, what I'd like you to do is go and find them, and I want you to see what they're up to, and then I want you to come back here and give me a report. What do we call that kind of a person? What do we call the kind of person who finds out what their brothers are doing and goes and tells their parents about it? Hmm? Yeah. So this is going to work, isn't it? So Joseph heads off to try and find his brothers. He can't find them where he thought they were. Somebody else says, oh, they're in Dohan. So go on to, to Dohan. Eventually, he finds, he sees his brothers in the distance. And the Bible says that while his, he's still a long way off, the brothers start going, ah, oh, here comes the dreamer. Here he comes. 
And here comes the youngest brother, the one that you know is just as likely to go home and tell dad everything about what you're doing. So sure enough, he comes over and they decide that they're going to get rid of him once and for all. What they actually decide to do is they're going to kill him. They've had enough of the dreamer. And then Reuben decides, no, 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 we can't do that. So he tries to persuade his brothers, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in this pit. And then he's thinking later on he'll go and rescue Joseph because he didn't want anything bad to happen. Somewhere in the intervening time, they decide, okay, we'll put him in the pit. They put him in the pit. And then while Reuben's not around, Judah has an idea. He says, hey, hey, look, there's some guys coming over there. We can actually sell him, get some money for him, and uh, then we'll get his cloak and we'll cover it in blood and we'll go home and tell Dad, hey, guess what? Oh, sorry, Joseph, your loved son, he must have been killed by an animal and all we've got is this blood-stained jacket. So that's what they did. So they called over the men, the Ishmaelites, and then in the end they did a deal and they persuaded and they sold their youngest brother to a bunch of traders. And they went back and told Jacob the sad sob story of the death of his youngest son. Scene three. Scene three, he gets sold as a slave to an officer in the army of Potiphar, the ruler. Sorry, Pharaoh's the ruler. Potiphar's the guy he gets sold to. And here's the thing. Even though he's a slave, the Bible actually records that Joseph does such a great job that he is put in charge of everything within Potiphar's household. Everything is under his command. He prospers because of his attitude. So even though he's a slave, he's prospering. And the story unfolds that, of course, Joseph, quite attractive, and part of his wife has got way too much time on her hand, not having social media, she's forced to look around at what's going on in the real world, and she discovers that the slave they've employed is quite good looking, so she tries to entice him into bed with her. And she tries over and over again, and Joseph resists and resists, and he says, no, I cannot sin against my master, and I cannot sin against God. Eventually, she gets so desperate, she attacks him, and in him struggling to run away, she grabs his clothes, and he keeps running, and the clothes stay behind. So she's left now with his clothes, he's running away without them on, and so she has a quick idea, decides she's going to cry rape. So she cries rape. And everybody comes rushing around, and Joseph gets arrested. Surely when you have a dream, surely when you have a vision, surely when it's from God, surely everything will go well. Surely you won't be falsely accused of anything. I mean, doesn't that go with the territory? If I've heard from God, if he's spoken into my life, shouldn't everything go well? Far less that my moral character should be slighted by false accusation? So he gets arrested. This dream is getting better and better. So we see him move to scene four. Where is he now? He's in prison. But just the same as when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, the news is that Joseph's attitude comes to the fore. And the jailer recognizes there's something on Joseph's life. So what does he do? He entrusts him, a prisoner, with authority even within the prison. So even in the prison, Joseph is prospering. 
He's given responsibility. He's given privilege. He's given opportunity. But he's in prison. The dreamer is in prison. And eventually, two other prisoners are added to the prison. And they're from Pharaoh's household. They've disappointed him in some way. And through the course of this time, these two guys have dreams. And they don't know what they mean. And the conversation happens in prison one day that they're full of anxiety because they've had dreams, but they don't know what they mean. So Joseph says, isn't it God's domain to be able to tell us what dreams mean? I'll tell you what God says your dreams mean. And so he interprets their dreams. Is it possible that on the way to the realization of the dream or the vision or the hope or the word that we have, actually God takes us to a place where we don't feel we deserve to be? A place sometimes we don't want to be. That actually where we have an opportunity to to not focus so much on the circumstance, but on the attitude of heart that he's wanting to draw out of us. Is it possible that on the way to the realization of the dream is placed in our hearts, that he actually calls us alongside others so we can help interpret their dreams? See, he's a dreamer, but right now he's not dreaming. He's interpreting others' dreams for them. So in the end, the story unfolds that What Joseph tells as the interpretation of the dreams is exactly what happens. In fact, one of them loses his life and one of them gets restored to his position in Pharaoh's household. Great! That's awesome! That's awesome! So the dreaming has been interpreted in prison, but God has used Joseph to interpret other people's dreams. And just before the prisoners leave the prison, Joseph says to them, guys, 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 When you get out, can you just tell someone that I didn't do what I'm accused of doing, that I'm here under false accusation and uh, people have forgotten me, have been here for a long time. Can, Can you just tell someone? Can you guys remember me? And they're like, we've got you, Joseph. Joseph said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. We're just ahead of our time. So they left, and Joseph waited. (laughs) Two years. What is he doing? We don't know. All we know is he's still in prison. How long had he been there? I don't know, but we know that after the guys left, he was still in prison for two more years, waiting for someone to remember like they promised. What are you waiting for? How long are you going to wait? Here's the truth. I don't know. Well, what's the point? See, that's the problem when you're in the movie. You don't know how it's going to end. You've got a hope of how it ends. 
We hope it's going to, we hope the dream is going to be fulfilled. We hope the picture is going to be realized. We hope the expectation we carry is going to come to fruition. That's what we hope. But sometimes, particularly in this kind of situation, it's hard waiting. Ever been in the middle of a movie that's way longer than you expected, going nowhere in particular, and you just think, you know what, life is too short to be sitting here. I could just walk out. I think sometimes that's what we do with the dreams. Maybe when we're falsely accused, we walk out. Maybe we're somewhere we don't want to be. And we're feeling trapped and imprisoned and we just want to walk out. Or maybe we've got past that, but now we're just sick and tired of waiting, so we're ready to leave. Here's something I discovered I've only walked out about, of about two or three movies. I won't tell you what they are and why I walked out. But here's the thing. I'm glad I walked out, but here's the thing I realized. When you walk out of a movie, you don't know how it ends. Why? Because you're not there when it finishes. The dream, the vision, the hope, the expectation that you and I carry in God, if we walk out, guess what? We won't be there when it ends. We won't see how it finishes. So what am I supposed to do while I'm waiting? Well, movies have directors. And they're the ones that have the overall picture of how the storyline is going to unfold. They've done the storyboarding. They've worked the ebb and flow. They've worked out how to introduce the characters, how to help the audience get to know the characters. They've worked out how the storyline will then go so that you introduce the moment of drama and crisis and then resolution and then the fulfillment of the story. They've got the whole thing in mind. I've worked as an extra on TV programs, one of the most insanely boring jobs I've ever done in my life. Why? Because I just know that I'm asked to walk in with a rake, <laughs> rake the concrete chicken coop, but please don't let the rake touch the concrete because it annoys the sound engineer. Oh, okay. Just look like you're raking until the camera goes off you and then that's your scene. I hate that, why? Because it's just, it's a lot of waiting around to do something that lasts about two and a half minutes that actually probably made it on screen for about 15 seconds and I've got no idea how it fits into the whole big picture. How many times have you ever felt in your life like you've ended up being asked to do some bit part in some scheme that you've got no idea what's going on and you're sick and tired of waiting because when you're waiting, it doesn't seem like anything is happening unless you know the full story. We have a director. He's described as the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. He's described the one as the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Why does God use that author metaphor? What does an author know? When an author writes a story, he knows how it's going to start. He knows what's going to happen in the middle. But most importantly, he knows how it's going to end. So if you're waiting, like Joseph, and you've got no idea and you start to lose hope and you're tempted to walk out, what's the best thing to do? Stay in touch with the director. 
I don't know what's going on in scene five. Not much, apparently. Can you help me? You know, God doesn't play hide and seek. He reveals to us. He opens things up. But if we're just focused on, you know what, I'm so frustrated. I'm just walking out on this dream. I'm tired of this. It hasn't worked out like I imagined. And look, I get it. I get it. I know. I know what that's like. Let, let me just give you one little snapshot. I had, my wife and I, Riri and I, had some amazing things happen in our lives over the last couple of years. Long story short, last year, I was privileged to be given a Vodafone fellowship which funded me to continue the work and research that I was doing into the area of young people and the justice system. It was awesome. Such a God provision. Incredible. Around the same time, we were also, as a couple, outworking a word that Pastor Bruce had shared with us, a suggestion that, what about Rary running for parliament in Tonga? So we, we had this, wow, that's exciting. Those are amazing dreams. It's just like, wow, where's this all going to lead? This is incredible. This is, this is awesome. And so we're trying to walk this out scene by scene, scene by scene. Now, we come to this year, and last year was good, but this year, it's kind of like we're stuck in scene five. And what does scene five look like for us? That Rary's in Tonga, and I've been going backwards and forwards to Tonga. Why? Because I'm here just sustaining us and, and earning what we need to do what God has called us to do. And we've got this long-term plan ready for her to run in the elections in November 2018. Until seven weeks ago, when the king dissolves parliament in Tonga and calls elections for November 16 this year. Okay. All right, how does that work? And, and the, I'm, I'm, I'm in New Zealand, Rary's in Tonga. Well, I'm going backwards and forwards and like, this is supposed to be a really good thing, but why isn't it working out? Why hasn't Rary found a job in Tonga? Why haven't we found somewhere to live? Why, 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 why? Why we're kind of like waiting for everything to come together. Why am I telling you this? I'm excited about the journey we're on, except I also recognize that it's awful being in this time. You know, we went to see Pastor Bruce and Helen and we're like, we were at the point of saying, you know what, shall I just give up everything I'm doing in the youth justice sector here, just give it up and go and live in Tonga with Rary and do something? Or should Rary just give up the political ambition, move back to New Zealand and we just carry on life here? I mean, we were at that point, we're sick of waiting, it's just like, Pastor Bruce and Alan listened to us tell our story. And in the end, they said, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, when it's not your seeing five. <laughs> you know what they said? Both of you would be crazy to bail on what God's doing right now because it's so clear that God's all over this. All right. So we trusted that word. The next trip I did to Tonga, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because it's still unfolding and I don't want to say things before time. But I'd, I'd had this thing that I remembered from about a year ago at university when I should have been doing other things and I was procrastinating. So I was doing research <laughs> online. And I thought, oh, 
wonder if there's a youth justice system in Tonga. So I did a bit of research and found that there had seemingly been a bit of a youth justice system after the riots in 2006, but I couldn't find anything about now. And then I found that Rary's supervisor for her law work used to be the Attorney General and the Minister of Justice at the time of the riots. I thought, oh, we got to talk to her. So I said to Rary, let's meet with her. So we had a conversation. I just asked the question, is there a youth justice system in Tonga? And she said, well, I don't know. There was after the riots, but it's kind of like we did that because we need, We had a whole lot of kids have been arrested and we couldn't just send them through the adult system. Here's some people to talk to. So I went and talked to some of those people. And one conversation led to another to the point that I find that there's no youth justice provision in Tonga. So kids who get arrested just end up going through the adult system, except that there is a plan afoot that aid money will be used to establish a youth diversion scheme in Tonga. And when I met with the people who are hoping to fund that and told them about what I was doing and how I was living between here and, and Tonga and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and they're scribbling on their paper and then they look up and go, wow, this is amazing. And I said, why? And they said, well, let us tell you about what we've got planned. And so all of a sudden I said, oh, there's going to come a time where we're going to move from scene five. Now, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but here's the thing. I, I discover that our dream has included the point of, it would be nice to be living in the same country. <laughs> and so this will mean, this is one opportunity where it means I can be based in Tonga, which is, was always the plan, and coming back here when I need to be. And we're starting to get to the end of scene five. But here's the point. What if we bailed? What if we'd walked out? What if Riri had just come back? What if, you know, and I mean, I have too many stories to tell for the time, but amazing things are happening in terms of her campaigning. Somebody who's not known, you know who's more well-known in Tonga than my wife? Pastor Madaili, <laughs> who's her brother, and her sister, Liwaki. And so she's having to write, oh, you're Liwaki's, oh, you're Madaili's sister. Okay, but God's amazing. You know, <laughs> how does a female candidate talk to male voters in Tonga? Till a relation comes along and says, I know, I'm going to organize some carver parties and you can come along and talk about running for the election. <laughs> My wife does carver parties. <laughs> Sorry, she just talks at them, okay? She doesn't drink the dirty dishwater. That's just me. If you don't know what a carver party is, Google it. Okay, but here's the thing. What are you going to do while you're waiting? Are you going to bail? We're going to talk to the director and say, excuse me, sir, I'm, I'm stuck in scene five. I just need some reassurance of what the big picture script is here. And guess what? He'll show you. He may not show you everything, but then you probably don't want to know everything. You just want to be reassured that there's a plan. So then we get to scene six. Ah, more dreaming. Except this time... It's the pharaoh, it's the king, the ruler of Egypt. He's, he's in that place of dreaming. And he's had a dream that he can't understand. How many people have ever seen Joseph of the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Okay. I won't sing it, but here's basically how Joseph tell, uh, Pharaoh tells the dream in that musical. He says, well, I was wandering along the banks of the river when two, seven fat cows came out of the Nile. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> and right behind these fine, healthy animals came seven other cows that were skinny and vile. Ah, ha, ha. 
The thin cows out, the thin cows ate the fat cows, which I thought would do them good. Aha. Uh-huh. But it didn't make them fatter like such a monster supper should. The thin cows were as thin as they had ever, 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 ever been. This dream has got me baffled. Hey, Joseph, what does it mean? So Joseph tells him what it means. He says, Pharaoh, it's obvious. Basically, this dream means that you're going to have seven years of incredible prosperity and harvest in, in Egypt. But that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. So it's probably a good idea to get ready for the famine through the here period of fullness. Again, what's Joseph doing? He's interpreting other people's dreams. He's still doing that. So Pharaoh listens to this. He says, you know what? That makes sense. None of my guys have been able to tell me what this means. So here's the deal. I want to put you in charge. So he gives him some racy headgear, lots of authority. (laughs) And Joseph is now in charge. Joseph, a foreigner. Joseph, a prisoner. Joseph, falsely accused, is now in charge of, second only to Pharaoh, in charge of managing the preparation in the nation of Egypt. And so that's what he did. So then we get to the next seven, scene seven. What happens? Long story short, you can read it. I can't go in all the detail, but basically he's in charge of making sure Egypt is prepared for the famine. When the famine hits, Egypt is the only country that's got provision. So guess what? The Egyptians and all the nations around about decide Egypt's the place to be because at least they've got food. So guess who hears about it? Joseph's family. So they decide they're going to come down and see if they can get some food. They come down and they end up in Joseph's presence, but they don't know who he is because they haven't seen him since they put him in the bottom of the pit. And he knows who they are, so he plays games with them and chests their attitude and it all unfolds and eventually there is the great reveal. Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers who the last time they saw him, he was in the pit being dragged out and sold to a bunch of Ishmaelites to become a slave. Now, what do you do when you're in the presence of royalty? When you first meet them, what do people do? There's big loud outside voices. (laughs) Bow. What was the dream? What was scene one? All your sheaves of wheat bowed down to mine. All your interplanetary systems bowed down to me. Came true. The dream came true. Let me just leave you with some three thoughts. When you have a dream, when you have a vision, when you have a prophetic word, when you have a hope, when you have an expectation, something you get excited about, here's the truth. The dream is like the end of a movie. I'll bet if your life's like my life, you could understand that a lot of the frustration is created when we think the dream, the vision, is something that will happen by next Tuesday. And it'll all fall into place, there will be no problems, and it will be magic. And one one day, probably in 10 days' time, we'll be able to stand up and testify about it. See, here's the thing I've noticed. When you hear somebody get up and testify about how they've had a dream and then they've gone through all this scene, two, three, four, five, six, all that frustration, you love hearing about that as long as it comes out into a good resolution. 
Isn't it amazing? We love hearing testimonies like that. Don't you? Don't you love hearing that you've kind of gone, oh, hey, it all came out and God worked it out. Don't you love a testimony like that? Yes? Don't feel trapped. This is not a trick question. I love it. And I would love to be the person giving that testimony of scene seven. I'm just not so keen on scene three, four, and five. See, we want to have a testimony. We just don't want to go through what you need to go through to have a testimony. But here's the key. If you can understand the dream, the vision, the hope, the expectation, whatever it is that you're carrying, what if it's like the end of a movie? And what if right now you're in scene three or four or five? Then at least stay in the movie. At least believe that actually the dream that you have hasn't disappeared. It wasn't that you had too much Milo the night before. It is actually God, but it's like it's the final scenes of a movie. Man, if you can, if you can understand that, then it will help you stay in touch with the director right through the scenes where you don't know what's going on. It just seems like waiting. You feel like I'm being falsely accused. People are saying stuff about me. Think, people are thinking things about me that aren't true. Well, okay. Does that mean the dream is over? It's only over if you walk out of it. So second point. The things that we say can actually affect how the dream progresses. What if Joseph hadn't blabbed to his brothers about the dream? Would that have been a wiser thing to do? Possibly. But here's the thing. Nothing throws God. See, when you're the Alpha and the Omega, you know the beginning and the end, nothing, nothing throws you. Nothing confuses you. Oh, God never goes, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was going to happen. <laughs> Here's the amazing way he works. See, imagine now we're looking from God's perspective on the six. I know there's only six there because I couldn't put the seventh on. There are seven. So God knows all these things, but see, we look at them as traumatic events in and of their own right. But here's how God sees them. What did Joel talk about? Every decision is like a choice between two doors. I'll take that. Every scene in the unfolding of the dream that you're walking out with God, every decision point is a choice between two doors. One door is I'm out of here. I'm walking out on this. The other door is I don't understand this but I'm going to go through it. See, here's the thing. If he hadn't blabbed to his brothers about the dream, they wouldn't have hated him so much to put him in the pit. So the dream blabbing, unwise as it may have been to the natural mind, was actually the doorway into ending up in a pit. Woo! Bring on the pit! But being in the pit was the doorway to actually being picked up by the slave traders. Woo! Bring on the slave traders! Being with a slave trader was the doorway to being sold to Potiphar. Woo, bring on slavery. Just thought, wouldn't it be awful if somebody takes snatches out of this audio? <laughs> Context, people, listen to the whole story. So he ends up in the service as a slave to Potiphar and ends up getting falsely accused of rape which was the doorway to prison. Woo, bring on prison. 
Oh, by the way, not just any prison. Pharaoh's prison. So now he's in the palace. He's just in the prison, in the palace. Is it possible that the place where you feel hemmed in is actually the place where God is preparing to position you? If you ever feel trapped in your job, unappreciated? Is it possible that God's actually preparing you there for that very place? All you want to do is break out. But he's saying, no, 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 just wait, just wait, 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 wait. So being in Potiphar's prison was the doorway to interpreting the dream of the prisoners who even though they forgot about him for two years, one of them finally remembered, the other couldn't because he was dead. And he says, oh, there's this guy in prison who can interpret your dream, Pharaoh. And he does, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. See, what, what, if, what if all the things you don't understand in your journey right now, what if you saw them as scenes that actually the Alpha and the Omega, the author and finisher of your faith and my faith actually has a plan. And even though you're struggling to put the story together, what if you... What if you could actually see that one thing is actually the doorway to something next? And while you still are stuck in three, four, and five, don't forget scene seven, if we remain in the movie. See, it doesn't matter. He's not confused. He's not upset. If you open your mouth at the wrong time to the wrong person, it doesn't matter. God can use that. Romans 8, 28, all things, all things, even your unwisely spoken words, speaking the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person, all things work together for good to those who love God. Do you love Him? Yes. Are you called according to His purpose? Yes. Then He'll make it work. He'll weave around it. He'll make it part of the fabric. In fact, it's always been part of the story. It's just we didn't realize it. Lastly, your dream is always much bigger than you realize. Remember Joseph's dream? Sheaves of wheat, bowing down dream was way bigger than that. What do I mean? Well, what happened? Well, he ended up as a ruler. Woo! Bring on ruling. Bring on that sense of authority. Yeah, that was, that was, that was part of it. Didn't see that necessarily, but actually it was important for the dream to be fulfilled that he ended up in that position. And what else? There was a reunion with his brothers, not some, ha, you wanted to get, no, no, this is Joseph who then after all this has happened says, don't worry brothers, what you determined to be for my evil, for evil toward me, God determined to use it for good. Because that's the Romans 8.28 God. Nothing is a surprise to him. He'll use it for his good, our good. But the story is way bigger than that. It wasn't just about a reunion with his brothers. It wasn't just a dream about his brothers bowing down to him. It was a dream about rescuing a whole nation not just a whole nation, a whole region. See, if he hadn't been positioned to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, then he would have been in a position to help Egypt prepare for the famine, which mean, mean thousands, thousands, maybe millions of people would have died. But because he was there through those scene one to seven, he was there in that place not only to rule, not only to see a reunion and a restoration, but he was there to rescue 
to make a difference for thousands and thousands of lives, not just the ones who are alive at that time, but all their children and their children's children and the generations to come. The dream was way bigger than Joseph realized. But it wouldn't come to pass if he'd have walked out and seen fire. So where are you? If you really want to get an idea of where this picture this dream fits into the, understand that what happened next. So because of the prosperity in Egypt, everybody moved into Egypt, including a lot of Jews, and the Jews moved in, and they had families, and they had families, and they had families, and they had families, until there were so many of them there that Egypt decided they needed to control the Jews by actually making them slaves. So they made them slaves, made them slaves, made them slaves, until they cried out to God, and God decided to rescue them, and he sends Moses. See, here's the other thing is the dream that you carry is way bigger than you realize, but it's also part of a much bigger plan than you could imagine. God's not asking you to try and comprehend that. He's just asking you to stay in the dream, to trust Him, even when you don't know what the heck is going on. Our trust is not based on the circumstance we experience. It has to be in the one who sees the beginning from the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that although we may not understand everything we're going through, we thank you for the truth. You who see the beginning from the end. You who see dreams, visions, and hopes. You're here to reassure, to encourage, to comfort, to reactivate. Father, you don't You don't treat us with disdain when we lose heart and want to walk out. You call us back. You call us home. You call us back into all that you've spoken to us already. Father, I pray for all of us in this room. Right now, change our thinking. Let us put aside all frustration. Let us again see the dream, the vision, the hope. God, this morning, let us see it as the end of a movie. Help us to have that context, that perspective, that it may encourage us that wherever we're at, whether it's scene one, three, five, or six, Father, we can have hope. Father, for people this morning who just feel like they've been locked in, kept in a place they don't want to be in, even a place they don't believe they deserve to be in, Father, I pray, give them the heart, the same heart that Joseph carried to trust you even in that frustration. Give them opportunity to see the people around them who need help interpreting their dreams. Father, let there be such an anointing on people in this house that while we continue to pursue the dream that you've placed in our heart as individuals, we're all the time looking around for those who we can encourage by interpreting and helping them understand their dream. 
Father, help us to forgive ourselves. We were holding ourselves in judgment for the time we've spoken unwisely about the dream you placed in our heart. The time where we feel like we've shared it with people close to us who've reacted in a way we'd never expected. Forgive us for the times that we, we talked about it because we wanted to try and make ourselves sound really good and it became more about us than about you. Forgive us, God, where we've spoken and believe that because we spoke out of time, the dream is gone. Father, break that lie in our hearts this morning. Thank you that out of Joseph's story, we see that you can use everything, even unwisely shared vision, can actually be a part of a fulfillment of the dream. Father, we pray, open our eyes, not only to trust you for the end and the fulfillment of all you've spoken into us as an individual and as a church, but also gain something of that vision that the dream we carry is way bigger than we imagined. Let that be the fuel that enables us to make decisions and choices even when we don't have clarity and understanding. things I'm going to do before we finish. While your eyes are closed, if you're here this morning and you're not a person that would call themselves a follower of Jesus, by that I mean you wouldn't describe yourself as somebody who's walking, following Him through your daily life. Maybe you're here because someone's invited you or you were here because you didn't really know why, but you're here now. We believe that actually it's incredibly important that you're here. Because God knew you were going to be here, even if you weren't so sure. And it's our privilege every time we gather, it is a give opportunity for people who are not yet following Jesus to start that journey. We're not asking you to join a church or an organization. We're inviting you into a relationship to follow the one that we're all following, those of us who follow Jesus. Here's the one thing I can tell you, if you haven't picked it up through what I've shared this morning, here's the one thing that you need to understand. When you start following Jesus, it doesn't mean all your problems go away. When you start following Jesus, it doesn't mean to say all the issues stop. When you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean to say that everything is sweetness and light. But here's the thing. When you start following Jesus, you get a picture of what the picture is. And your part in it. And the amazing thing is, it's a relationship that unfolds and gives you a greater, greater sense of purpose and clarity onto why you're here on this planet and your part in eternity, which is quite a long time. So I just want to give an opportunity. The way we do it here is we just say, look, if you'd like to start following Jesus, you could start right here, right now. All I'm going to ask you to do is just slip your hand up and give me a little wave. In that, you're saying, hey, Mark, that's me. I, I want to start following Jesus. Or maybe I want to get back to following Jesus because I feel like I've wandered off. I'll see your hand, then you can put it down, then we're going to pray. Okay, now's your opportunity. If you're saying, yeah, Mark, please include me in the prayer, you're going to pray. Just slip your hand up where you are right now. Wave it around so I can see it. We give this opportunity every time we gather. This is so important. We don't, we don't you know, apologize for doing it. It's so important. You've got an opportunity to connect with the director of the greatest story ever told because you've got a part in it and only you can act out that part. 
just looking around before I pray. Awesome. Okay. Church, can you look at me? This is the last thing I want to say to you. One is a bit of a homework and two is an opportunity to respond. In a moment, we're going to finish with a song. It's a song that's got a lyric which is incredibly important. It's a declaration that says, God, I've seen you move. I've seen you move mountains. Maybe you've seen that too. Man, I've seen you, God, move mountains in other people's lives. I've seen you move stuff and get it out of the way so that they can walk in the plan and the dream of it. I've seen you do it. But here's the thing. Maybe even in the midst of my frustration, at least, God, I'm saying to you, I've seen you move mountains. I believe you can do it again in my life. Here's the homework I want to give you. If you want to get a fresh perspective on the dream or the vision, the hope, the expectation that you once carried, which now has filtered away, here's what I want you to do. So I want you to go home this afternoon or this evening, and I want you to make a storyboard. Scene one is the whenever it was that God spoke to you, gave you a vision, gave you a dream, gave you a picture, some hope, whatever, scripture, a prophetic word, whatever it was that initially fired you with enthusiasm. Then I want you to draw what are the key events. There can be more than seven, that's fine. What are the key events that have happened, the highs and the lows since then? And then I want you to draw little doors between each one. And I want you to start to ask God to show you how one thing has led or opened up the opportunity. So the dream is actually unfolding. The hope is that when you do that exercise, I believe God is going to speak to you. It is going to give you hope to stay in the dream, to stay with the vision, to stay with the prophetic word, to stay with that scripture, to stick with that promise because it's the end, it's not the beginning. And that I trust as you actually do that, what you're actually going to see is how God has been leading you. Ask Him to open your eyes. Speak to Him. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the one who's the author and the finisher. He's writing it and He'll complete it. But ask Him to show you. And why am I asking to draw pictures on a piece of paper or in a journal? Because it's really good to write the vision down. And if you can't write it, draw it. Much better. And just ask God to speak to you over this week as you trust Him as the one who completes everything He started in you. Amen? Amen? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Time is gone. Ben's going to pick up this song. And can I just give an invitation? If you're here this morning, you would just like somebody to stand in agreement with you and say, maybe you're saying, I feel like I've, I've bailed in scene three. Or mate, I'm in scene five right now and I'm, I've been ready to walk out. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, I feel like I have walked out, but I want to walk back in. And you'd like somebody to stand with you in agreement. Can I encourage you while we're singing this song, just come and stand there on the front. One of our leaders will, will come and will stand with you, will pray with you. Because as two or three agree, then it will be done. Don't let this opportunity slip by. If you know you've started to let go of something God had spoken to, don't doubt in the dark what God spoke to you in the light. Let somebody stand with you in agreement as we sing together.